My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today I'm speaking with Torin Minutillo. He is the author of The Essential Inner Game. He is also an entrepreneur, a, uh, a business and life coach. Uh, Torin began his entrepreneurial career back in 1989 in, uh, in the retail space. We all remember the, the VHS boom of the 80s and early 90s. And uh, so that, that first venture for, for Torin was at the age of 24 when he went into the video rentals business. Within a few short years, he was part owner in three locations. And, you know, we all know that that didn't last, but he then built a career in real estate, establishing his own agency in 2007 that focused on commercial real estate sales, leasing, and property development. And again, there was an economic crisis in 2008 that, that really crushed the, the real estate market. Uh, so overcoming that, I'm sure, was, was quite an ordeal, but you, you're still in real estate. You uh, developed your, your own method of developing yourself and um, really a new way of doing business using an inner game operating system created from internal strength. And we'll... We'll talk a little bit about that and how you developed that and how it's really shaped your life moving forward. Uh, we were just talking before I hit record and uh, we both agree. Uh, and I think anybody listening to this has already really recognized the theme and, and my opinion, um, but I think the opinion or uh, really it's based in, in fact, you know, the, the world's greatest leaders, history's greatest leaders, they all had a passion for improving the lives of those that they lead and, and really developing them so that they are successful. And what I think we'll find listening to Torin is uh, this passion for helping other people. So uh, I just wanted to say thank you, Torin, for agreeing to this conversation and, and really just coming on to, to share your story with, with the audience. So thank you very much. Excellent. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate the opportunity and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, we, we just spoke before beginning the recording and you're in Perth, Western Australia. Is, is that where you were born and raised? Uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, so um, um, I was born here in um, um, sort of town a little bit south of uh, Perth, of Fremantle, which is a coastal port city. Um, but uh, yeah, so I grew up uh, in in an, in an immigrant family. My mum and dad immigrated from Italy 
uh, in the 1950s uh, and came here and, and I'm the youngest of seven brothers, seven boys in the family. Um, so yeah, I had a really good upbringing in, um, in, you know, in, the, in Perth suburbs. Talking about your life growing up being one of seven boys, yeah, right? Youngest, yeah. Oh, the youngest. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of poundings to take. <laughs> um, uh, well, I, I'd like to get a sense of maybe some of your early influences that, that helped you develop and maybe get an idea of uh, your upbringing. Um, what, did, what did your father do for a living? Well, my, my dad actually immigrated from Italy. He was um, a boat builder. So back in the day when they'd build uh, uh, wooden uh, boats, I don't do that anymore now, but he was a craftsman doing that. And, and like a lot of immigrants who left Europe, uh, left Italy because there wasn't much work after the war um, time, you know, for that period. And he traveled around, in fact, other places of the world first before they ended up coming to, to Fremantle at the time. So, uh, so he was a boat builder. Um, uh, and, and as I said, I was the youngest of seven brothers. Uh, unfortunately for, for me is that my dad actually passed away uh, when I was only uh, you know, about just before my 11th birthday. So my oldest brother uh, and, and my older brothers became more of you know influence on me. And obviously my mum, who sort of you know, lived to a ripe old age. And, and, uh, and so mum probably became more of my you know, uh, guidance from parental perspective to really shape sort of my values and who I am um, through that period. And plus being, you know, a large family, uh, there was always uh, plenty of people around. So uh, it was, a, you know, it was a good upbringing as much as it was obviously, you know, sad that dad passed away at an early age uh, for me. Um, and yeah, so I, I, but yeah, so my, my influence from a family perspective was certainly my mum had a huge impact on me and still does actually, even though she's been passed away now about eight years or so. Um, in fact, a lot of the coaching and a lot of things that I help other people through, uh, with, uh, I often think about her actually because uh, of, of just the way she lived her life. So she was a big influence on me through, through my early years. What did your mother do uh, for, for work? No, she never worked actually. It was interesting, you know, being an Italian um, family, his dad went out to work. I mean, you know, he, he passed away at the age of 62. I was, as I said, I was the youngest of seven, so I was a late child. Um, and when he passed away, mum was already, you know, senior years. But, um, well, you know, the family support system was there that she never really actually went out to work. She just sort of looked after the family home and, and, and brought up seven boys, basically, um, which was, was her legacy for her life, which was a good one, by the way. You've said that you refer back to her or think of her often when you're doing your coaching what are what are some of those memories that that come to you um because those must have set this this foundation for you um in your mindset and and your own personal philosophy yeah it's a good question and and to be honest with you, Dave, I've been doing this now for four years. And although I have her in my mind, I've never really sort of, you've got me sort of thinking about it, actually, because I haven't spoken to anybody really about this. So this is cool. Um, look, you know, she was uh, 52 years old when my dad passed away. My oldest brother was married and there were still six boys at home. Um, so she had to pick up the pieces and move forward. You know, as much as there was a, a sad loss for the family, she had to move forward. And I think 
when I reflect on on that now, um, she was never someone to look back. She always looked forward to what needed to happen. Hence, you know, immigrating from Italy to come here. Once she got to Australia and she had a, a large family, this was home for her and she forged on, you know. So, so I suppose those early years after dad passed away, she built a lot of resilience, which, you know, we all did. We all had to sort of chip in and help along the way in, in every, every which way we could. You know, I remember as a young kid, sort of 10, 11, 12, going out doing odd jobs and, and, and giving mum whatever money we made, you know, the minimal amount, so that she could keep the household going and doing what needed to happen. And my older brothers obviously did that as well. Uh, but, you know, certainly resilience. I, I think the other, the other thing that I think about, um, you know, just comes to mind now is his, her way of always looking forward and not looking back, looking positively about what's in front of you rather than looking back. And, um, you know, I think we, we've got to be grateful for what we got, but we also got to have a vision and clarity of where we want to go. And I think, you know, once she got past those first maybe five years or so, um, you know, she lived to 89. So she lived, in fact, it's interesting, she lived uh, in love with my dad for 38 years after he passed away and only 28 years prior to him passing away. So it's, it's, a, it's a real true love story in that she never considered ever being with anybody else when he passed away. And she's only 51 at the time, I think 52, which is sort of, you know, is quite unique, I would have thought. Um, but yeah, that was just, that was her value system. That's what she believed. And, and she steadfastly lived by that rule. You talked about your brothers having a, a big influence on your life as well. Can can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, my oldest brother is 15 years older than I am. So, you know, when dad passed away and I was just before my 11th birthday, um, you know, my oldest brother was 25, 26. And, and I think, you know, being still quite a young kid in the family, he took me under his wing a little bit and sort of became that father figure as much as he could because, you know, he had his own life to live as well. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the, the preceding brothers after that, because there's, uh, as I said, there's seven of us, uh, all in their own little way, you know, just made sure that we were cared for. And, and you know, I, I've, I've, as I said, as much as it was a sad sort of story around that, I, I haven't got nothing but great memories of a childhood in the family, um, you know, playing sports, living by the ocean, you know, all that sort of stuff is just, yeah, it was one of, um, you know, and to this day, um, here we are sort of, you know, I'm 57 now, and, and we're still very, very close, you know, all seven of us. And so that's a bond that was created through the family unit. And um, we still see each other very, you know, very much these days. So I think, you know, just that one of, um, you know, a comradeship, I suppose, you know, dare I say, it, brotherhood, you know, it's one that we look after each other. And, and, and we still do to this day. We still care a lot about each other's lives and as much as we all got our own families and, and, and moved on, you know, lots of kids in, in the family as well who are now young adults. And so, yeah, it's, it's an extended family and that's really been a support system as well. You know, I, um, I probably spend more time, well, I do spend more time with my brothers than I do with friends outside that network. Um, and, and, I've, and maybe, you know, haven't really needed that big friend network because I've always had that support around the family and, um, so yeah, it's, it's been a really, uh, good journey. You know, I, I, I wouldn't want to trade that whole experience for anything. You, you went through school and, and playing sports and, you know, after high school, did you go to university or, uh... no, I, I didn't actually, I'm not an academic. So, <laughs> um, I, uh, I, yeah, so sorry, you're going to finish the question. <laughs> well, what, 
what led you into the uh, the video retail space? So I think, um, you know, it's interesting. Your podcast is all about leadership. What I've learned about myself probably uh, in my later years or with my personal journey discovery, and we'll get into that. But at the time, um, you know, leadership for me was natural. Um, you know, even in school sports and school environments in my peer groups, you know, I was often the one to be elected captain to pick the team sort of thing, you know, and for no real sort of conscious awareness of me of wanting to do that. Um, so as I said, I wasn't really an academic. I was, um, I enjoyed sports. I enjoyed, you know, I, I wasn't great at school. Um, it, and, and maybe because of seven brothers, um, by the time I came through the schooling system, it wasn't so important. You know, my, my older brothers are academics and been to university and, and had great careers um in in you know in the fields that they've chosen through doing that but for me it was never really a pathway um and then yeah i just did odd jobs for two or three years and but i had an entrepreneurial spirit pretty early so i was pretty keen to get into something you know my early 20s i, I didn't really know what um and I, I just sort of serendipitously ended up in uh thinking about getting into the video rental business and because it was you know as you mentioned at the start it was one of those uh industries that was uh there was a you know a store on literally every corner in most suburbs around the world, or certainly in Australia, and I, I would have would have thought the same in the US. Um, so yeah, by the time my you know looking for opportunities to get into the business, uh, we ended up uh, buying you know with another friend we we got together and we bought this video store and built it up from you know quite a, a low business to you know and I, that's what I really cut my teeth in understanding that. Yeah, I do really like this life, and I, and I think I can make a career out of this. And and just was passionate about you know just doing the work that's required and learning. Um, you know, never we didn't I didn't go to any uh, not even, apart from university. I never went to any you know um, schooling or business school or anything like that. It was just really jump in and and hope that we floated or you know we swim, <laughs> and uh, and that's sort of what happened. And in the first two to three years, it became evident that you know I had a I had a skill to do something, you know, it was just hard work and enthusiasm, Dave, it wasn't too much science to it. Um, you know, working with clients, customers, getting, giving them what they wanted. Um, I, I didn't see it as difficult. I just was not, it was natural for me to fall into that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, within a very short period of time, we ended up in partnership with, I was ended up in partnership with three other video libraries and, and did that for a good four to five years. Uh, for started in 1989 and it was already, by the early 90s, there was already um, changes afoot in the VHS video market. You know, CDs were just coming online, digital. Um, so the cost to create was cheaper. So they, you know, video started to be able to be bought in most supermarket stores. And so the necessity to go and um, hire a video at your local store started to change, you know. And, and um, so, I, you know, after about five or six years, I started to get the drift of that wind. Uh, and decided that I still wanted to be in business. I still wanted to forge my own way, uh, but I need to think about doing other things. And, you know, and I was just adventurous and creative and I wanted to do other things. Um, and, and probably looking back, uh, running a small retail store on the corner was, you know, without sounding harsh, was probably a bit limiting to what I wanted to do. Um, and, and I had ambitions of getting something, you know, a bit meatier, something that I could build and, and build a real career around, you know. Um, so yeah, so I then transitioned for a period of time in uh, various different businesses um, for, you know, so I started in 89, 
I got into real estate in um, 2000, so a good 11 or 12 years and bought and sold different other businesses, mainly retail businesses. And then um, ended up in real estate in 2008. Uh, I had other businesses while I was cutting my teeth in real estate. And, and I ended up landing in sort of commercial real estate, which is what I really enjoyed, uh, industrial and commercial market. I wasn't really big on residential stuff, um, mainly because of the hours. By that stage, I'd married, I'd had a couple of kids, and so life started to evolve and change, you know. So uh, for me, I didn't really want to work a lot of weekends and evenings at the time. Um, so, yeah, so I evolved from video library business through to, to real estate in a period of about 10 years, 10, 11 years. And, and that's once I got into that, I thought, okay, now I'm in a place that I can really grab a vehicle and run with. Was, was there somebody or something that um, led you into real estate or did you just kind of see it as a, uh, an opportunity to, to do well? Yeah. Um, so good question. Um, there was, uh, but the interest was that through these businesses and, and making a bit of money behind is I was interested in developing property. I was interested in um, buying lots of land and building, subdividing. So here in WA, the large quarter acre blocks in the suburban areas were being carved into two. So there was opportunity to, to buy and develop and create. Right? So this comes back to that leadership, creative, creating stuff. Um, and and so that's what led me into it. And then, you know, one of my friends was uh, running a business and he was at me for a couple of years saying, you know, you should get into real estate. You would be good at it. Um, I was doing business by buying and selling with a couple of my brothers and we were doing that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, I just sort of, I suppose I got to a phase where I thought, okay, now is the time to give it a go. Um, by that stage, as I said, I was, uh, so it was at 2000, I was 36 years old. Um, you know, married two kids, mortgages, all those things. So, you know, and, and I went through a transition where when you first get into real estate, it's, there's a hard road to start. You know, you don't, commission only, you don't uh, make a lot of money in your first year or, or two. Um, but I quickly got momentum. And then within the space of two to three years, I'd pushed all the other businesses aside and just focused purely on, um, on, on real estate. And I was working with my friend for, in his business uh, for, I think it was three, four years. And then um, in 2007, um, I started my own company and, and mainly to break away uh, to do my own commercial development work. And, and, and I'd, by that stage, I'd built up some clients and some knowledge and understood, you know, the vagrancies of, of commercial development, um, which sort of led, you know, we'll, we'll go through a bit more of the stage, but when I, you know, now I'm coaching business owners, when I look back on those early years of my real estate getting into commercial property, I was dealing with a lot of business owners. So the people that were buying these commercial, leasing these commercial properties were young, you know, middle-aged, old business owners looking to either develop um, a property or they were looking for facilities to house their business. So I was meeting a lot of business owners and really starting to get a, an interest in, you know, who were the ones that were doing well and who were the ones that weren't and what was the nuances and what was the differences. And, you know, it's just started to read because I'm very inquisitive and curious by nature. You know, um, I'm, I, I like to learn all the time and to this, I'm probably learning more now than I ever did because um, I've got more time to do that. Um, so, yeah, so that, that career pathway sort of went from a retail sector into real estate and then my own business you know, all up in the space of a 20 years. So that was the first 20 odd years of my business career 
um, and then yeah, sort of flourished from there. When we went into that uh, economic crisis back in 2008, where were you uh, in terms? Where were you in terms of your your career, your your holdings, like your real estate holdings? Um, I would imagine there was a lot of growth during that time only to have it just almost disappear uh, overnight. And I, I can only imagine just the, the level of stress that comes with looking at, at something that you've built over so many years, just like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? Yeah, uh, so th this is the interesting part of the story, uh, Dave. Um, so for me, um, I'd, I'd been in real estate for five or six years, you know, building assets, built, you know, had multiple properties, um, was building, you know, what I thought was a really good life around me. Um, and, and so I started my business in uh, September 2007, um, off the back of a lot of commercial development. I was doing off the plan sales and, you know, we were flourishing the market here at that stage in Perth, uh, like a lot of places in Australia and worldwide. It was a boom time that early 2000s. Um, and, you know, for me, it probably got me into a place of um, probably complacency is the word that comes to mind is that, you know, each year was building on each year and the wealth was growing, the properties were growing, the income was growing. You know, I had all these clients around me that I was servicing and servicing well. Um, and then sort of, so I'd only been in the business for a, a year of my own business uh, in real estate when, you know, it was, was uh, September 2008 when the global financial crisis sort of began, um, probably took you know, a little bit of time to filter in for people to understand what the impact was. And what I've found on reflection now, I didn't sort of think about it too much at the time, but I, I probably went into a denial process. I went into a process for six to 12 months of, you know, how bad can it get? Don't sell anything, just hold on. You know, this is what the wise men always say is that you only lose when you sell, you know. <laughs> so, and, and so, but what was happening is that as each month went by throughout, you know, 2009 now, we're talking 2009 and then into 2010, the income levels were dropping, you know. So I had to go to the reserves to try and keep these properties that I had and everything up. And, um, and you know, what I learned now is that I was overgeared. I had too much uh, debt versus equity. Um, and that sort of in, started to implode a bit, sort of sort of got worse. And then what happened is I got, you know, by late 2009 into 2010, uh, I just started becoming very depressed about it all. You know, it's like, where's this all going to go? When's it going to end? When, you know, and in the meantime, working long hours, uh, trying to do as much as you can to, to get as much money into pay in your debts. Like I said, I held on probably in hindsight too long in trying to sell some of the assets they had to keep the things going. And then it got to a point where it became too much and I had to then fire sell stuff uh, because my mental state had got to a point where it was very fragile is the best way of describing it. Um, you know, uh, I was depressive, wasn't good around the family. Um, I, I started to get to the point go, wow, you know, where's this all going? Where am I going to end up here? And I'd gone from what happened to this, you know, 20 year roughly career of things going on the up to all of a sudden I'm back down to not only zero, but minus zero. And, and so it was a real reckoning time for me. And, and so that, that whole period lasted about three years. So from 
um, late 2008 through to early 2012, so late 11, 12. And it was it was around about late 2011 when I'd finally sold some asset, I'd stabilised everything and go, right, you know, and the way I describe it is I lost a lot of zeros in it of my, uh, and, <laughs> and actually went, I didn't go bankrupt, but uh, I probably would have been insolvent on, on any measure of uh, what you have to what you what you owe. Um, but you know, I had a will and a determination to push forward. As much as it was tough and it was a very stressful time, family and you know, and I had as I said, you know, having a big family, there was plenty of support around me. Um, but it was at that time when uh, I now know that um, it wasn't the actual GFC uh, or global financial crisis that was the problem the problem was that i hadn't developed as a person psychologically personally to withstand and become resilient for what was happening i mean i on reflection i can see that now but at the time of course when you're in the darkness or when you're in the valleys you can't see that sort of stuff and this is the sort of stuff that i help people through now is to understand that when you are in a difficult time um there's a gift in there in the difficult time the wisdom is trying to find that gift when you're in it, not, not when you're two years, three years in advance and now you've come out and you go, actually, that was a great thing for me. And it was. For me, on reflection, that two or three-year period, as tough as it was, has held me in good stead. And I'm now potentially three or four times better off financially, but personally, growth, personal development that came out of all that, um, you know, I actually only heard on the podcast that I listened to the other day that, uh, one of the pers best personal development pathways is to become an entrepreneur because you you have to you have to learn to survive and become resilient because there's always another storm around the corner um, that coming. And for me, you know, at the time, I felt it was the global financial crisis, and I was blaming the economics, and I was blaming everybody except myself. You know, and so. The shift came in late 11, 12, where I started to go, okay, there's got to be a better way for me to do this. I'm, I am where I'm at. You know, I just got, got some clarity about the fact that can't change the past, can only change the future, head down, go for it. You know, what, how bad, can, how much worse can it get in my life, you know, as far as financial goes? And, and, you know, my wife was still supporting. I had two beautiful daughters that were growing up. My brothers were still around me, you know, so th there was a lot to be grateful for. Um, but it was just, um, my, the economics around me wasn't good. So yeah, I just sort of started, you know, reading books and learning. And, you know, like a lot of people, uh, I got introduced to Tony Robbins. And uh, I got some of his, uh, um, at the time, they were CDs. Um, and, you know, listened to those, got inspired. Uh, and I can't remember which actual moment or there wasn't like one signpost. But I just started to shift the way I was doing business. I started to go don't worry about the money and just worry about servicing people. And, and that was something that I valued, but probably never consciously did on a day-to-day -day basis. But I, but I moved myself to go, I'm just going to focus on helping other people get what they want. And let's just see what happens here. You know, Zig Ziglar, you know, all these guys that I had in the background that I was reading books, listening to was, yeah, it was inspiring. And then I thought, okay, well, I can do this. And so I, stay, I set on a pathway to turn things around, you know, and, um, so, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a then about a five year period from 2012 to sort of 2017, where the more I started to learn about myself and I became self-aware and what was results, uh, I, I started to go deeper and deeper. I, I started to do a lot more personal development. I got to the point where I was reading a book every month and I was, 
you know, once podcasts became um, fashionable, if you like, or then, you know, and as we know now, you can jump on a podcast and to listen to any expert anywhere around the world if you, if you go seeking it out. So I just became a voracious learner. Um, I really became fascinated on the human development side of things and what makes us humans tick. So I, I, I did all this life experience. Instead of doing a degree at the start of my life and then going into life experience, the way I look at it now is I did the life experience first. And now I'm going into the study, how the brain works. Why do we behave the way we do? I'm getting coaching around all sorts of different things now. And so by the time 2017 came around, um, bearing in mind, I was working in commercial real estate. We were gaining momentum year after year. It, the business was growing. Income was coming through. I replenished a lot of my assets, you know, uh, really, really started getting, like I said, now I'm I, you know, I'm going very, very well from that point of view, or certainly as well as I, I want to be. Um, but around 2017, I sort of realized that talking to a lot of business owners who are at the very top of the tree in, in the field of work that I was doing, and I was also dealing with businesses that were struggling, looking for a very cheap lease to be able to survive another year. And I was really trying to get fascinating was what's making these guys at this level tick and what's thing and it was leadership and it was creativity and it was personal development and it was self-awareness and it was all these uh these things so that fueled me even more to go learn about this um so now i wouldn't say i don't have a degree or anything but i'm, I'm a very well-versed student in human behavior um and so in 2017 18 i joined a couple of network groups around this and uh there was a guy in there that inspired me to to become a coach and said to me, well, you know, with all your life experience and how you've now come up, you know, and to use one of your phrases, you know, come from the embers, because that's what it was, um, to back to where I'm now and, and, you know, leading my company, leading the people around me. And then in 2018, I decided that, okay, I'm going to do this, but I had to start shifting my time so I could create some space to be able to do it. So I've slowly over the last four or five years extracted myself a little bit out of the real estate company you know, one of my brothers, my next oldest brother, joined me in 2009 in that journey. And he's been along the pathway as well in the, in the real estate company. So I've got him as support in there as well. Um, but over the last, you know, so I started coaching in 2018. Just, you know, and it was this, this mentor of mine who said, you know, you don't need any qualifications to help someone in their life. <laughs> you know, because I felt like I need to go and get some sort of coaching course or a degree or some sort of certificate of acknowledgement. To, and he's like, you don't have to do that. You don't need permission to teach, was his words. And I was like, yeah, okay, I can, I can resonate with that because a lot of people have taught me along the way. Um, so that's what I did. So, I, uh, so now I've, you know, fast forward that uh, three and a half years. This is my fourth year as coaching. Now I've got, a, you know, some nice momentum in build some programs, I've built my own IP around what I believe is, is impactful on helping people uh, evolve. So what I do is help people evolve. And, and I've got a particular interest in business owners who are in their 40s for lots of reasons. Um, we can talk about that from a psychological development of where they arrive in their life while trying to grow a business, while trying to build a family around them generally, while, while trying to, you know, nurture people around them and lead them and i think that the early 40s is a very pivotal age in people's life you know and uh is that you know if we, if dave if you allow me just to sort of expand on this a little bit is like you know the average age of our life expectancy in the us and australia it's very similar sort of you know early 80s and if you divide your life up into four 
quarters. You've got your first 20, your second 20, your third 20, and your last 20, essentially. And so the first 20 set, sets you up for the second 20. That's the area where you've either gone to college, you know, got a degree, gone out into the workforce, found a partner in life, maybe had a family, had a mortgage. All these things happen between 20 and 40 generally. I know this generalistic, but that's sort of what happens. And then it's this next 20 from the 40 to 60 to start preparing yourself potentially for retirement or what that looks like towards the end of your life. You start to question where you're at, what you're doing, why have you got the results you got? Why haven't you got the results that you got? What is it that you really want? Where's your vision going? So it's this pivotal time. And when I've reflected on this, this was exactly what was going on with me when I was 44 with the global financial crisis, with the business, with a young family, with mortgages, with all this stuff around me. And now I'm particularly interested in helping people in that phase of their life. Because apart from the business struggles to try and grow a business, there's a lot of life struggles that are going on at the same time. And there's a lot of questioning going on. It's just the way we develop as human beings. This is what happens. And, you know, uh, I think it's James Hollis wrote a book called The Middle Passage around this as a famous US psychologist. And, and, and um, you know, and it's talking about this middle passage of your life and how you navigate. So how well you do that, you come out in the early 50s and you're setting yourself up for the balance of your life, whatever that is. And, and it's a really interesting pivotal time. And, you know, we talk about midlife crisis. It's, it, this is what happens. It's like people start to question. It's why a lot of marriages break up in that phase because you start to really question who you are and what's your purpose? What are you trying to achieve? You know? So, yeah, so sorry that I did, I did sort of give you a quite a big range of timeline there, but uh, hopefully you picked up on it. I, I love these kind of conversations because you know, the passion really comes through. Uh, and I, I do want to talk about that a little more, the, the, that third block of 20 years. I mean, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Yep. And, yep. Uh, uh, but I'm, I'm guessing that that is discussed in your book. Would I be um... Actually, it's not. It's in. It's in the next book. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, then let's let's talk about the essential inner game and sure. and that. Um, there's ten steps in there. Is, is yeah. That so, so the the premise of the book was was it was twofold. Um, for me, um, once I got some momentum in business coaching, I really wanted to sort of piece some ideas together to to basically use essentially as a business card to say. You know, here's some ideas to help you through this period of your life or, or business in general. So it's quite a generic book. Um, I'm, I haven't got it for sale. It's just I put it out to clients and, I, you know, I give it away complimentary on my website. So a bit of a plug there. If anybody wants a copy of it, I'll, I'll put it in the post and send it to you. I'm not selling it. Um, but what it is, is 10 insights and guiding principles that I've broken down that for me made a huge difference in... Uh, my development through that period and how I came out of it. And, and some, some of the principles are, are tried and true, and some of them are sort of, I wouldn't say unique to me, but not always obvious to people when they're trying to grow a business. And this is, although this is a business development book, it's really a personal development book, because I think, you know, one, one of my beliefs around all this, and I've come to understand, is that we don't actually have business problems, relationship problems, financial problems. We have personal development problems that show up in these areas of your life, right? So it's us as a human being developing. And if, you know, your work life or your business life, uh, if you've chosen the business entrepreneurial pathway, is the biggest arena of your life, 
when you think about it, you spend consciously thinking about it, not only the active work that you might do 40 or 50 or whatever hours, but you'll think about it outside of those hours if, it's an, if you're an entrepreneur. So there's nothing else in your life that you would spend that much focus in trying to hone and get right, right? So health and well-being, relationships, they're all there, but there's no other arena of your life that you're spending so much focus on and trying to get right. So I think you know, it's worth understanding then that if personal development and psychological development, as I like to call it, is so important to getting the results that you want in your life and business is, if you're an entrepreneur, is the biggest arena of your life, then you need to personally develop yourself to get what you want out of your entrepreneurial business life. It just goes hand in hand, that's the way I see it. And so this book, The Essential Inner Game, is really a, a reflection on a distinction between there's an outer game that everybody gets to see. So that's your sales and marketing, your product and service that gets delivered, the interactions you have with the outside world. But then there's all this other stuff that's going inside of you, your brain of how you're thinking, how you're showing up, your energy, how you're creating, how you're weaving your way, your resilience. Nobody gets to see that. And, and at the end of my book, on the, at the end, I give a, a bit of a, an analogy. It's like going to a show where you go to the theatre and um, you go to the show when you're, you're in the audience and the, the curtains come back and you see the performance, the music, the lights, the dancing, the acting, and the shows on in front of you. And that's the outer game. The inner game is everything that goes on behind the scenes that you don't get to see, but it, there's people running around everywhere trying to make that show work so that the audience has a good experience. When you think about your business life, that's what we're doing. We're creating this performance out there to try and attract people to us to create an experience for them. But in behind the inner game, they don't get to see is where everything happens. Otherwise, the show doesn't go on stage, the curtains don't come back, the lights don't go on, there's no performance, right? So I think it's a, it's a really cool analogy to understand the dis distinction for business owners between the outer game and the inner game. So what I've discovered, Dave, in my journey is that I, when I say most, I'm talking 80 to 90% of business owners will focus outwardly on the outer game only, or mostly. Very few think about their inner game, how they're showing up, who they are, what they believe, what's influencing them, what's their condition process, what's their belief systems, what's their value systems, you know, what's their vision, what's their clarity of purpose, what's their, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't think about that enough. What they think about is how do I get another marketing sales funnel? How do I try and entice another customer to come towards me? And how do I um, you know, present myself to try and impress that person so I can get more business and make more money. And this is what happens is that's why a lot of business owners get tripped up and, and the, the fail rate in business is huge. And that's because, uh, well, lots of reasons, but one of them is because they're not prepared for working on themselves, which is the catalyst to what gets you the results that you want to get. So these 10, this book, um, The Essential in the Game is really uh, 10 guiding principles that I've pulled together and, you know, it's just a short chapter. The book is only 130 odd pages. So it's a, you know, two to three hour read. Um, and, and it's what it's been written in a way that you can just go back to each into each individual principle whenever you want, because of those 10 principles, there'll most likely be one or two that will resonate with you based on where you're at on your journey, because we're all at different stages on a um, entrepreneurial journey. There's, you know, we often compare ourselves with other people that we, we aspire to, but they're often, you know, 10, 15 years ahead of us in experience and everything else. But 
But I think, you know, so we, the, what resonates with you, what you need to focus on is where you're at at any given stage. And that's sort of what we do in the coaching programs. But, um, but the essential in the game is, yeah, 10 uh, insights and guiding principles. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good little read. And I think what I'll do is give people some understanding of uh, how to build a resilient in the game. Can you list those principles? Sounds like a good idea. Why don't we do that? Right. <laughs> so uh, I, I won't, I'll try and remember them in particular order. But the first one is, um, so we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are, right? So this is a very base, a, a very interesting, interesting principle is that we as human beings tend to see things through our own eyes only, and we don't see through the experience of other people. So it's just a real basic um, principle around being self-aware, because I believe that self-awareness is the, is the best skill you can have in business. Um, I have a, a, a one which was really pivotal for me, and that is, you know, don't focus on the money, focus on giving service. So it's a very sort of basic principle, but when you move away from focusing on how, what you're gonna get out of business and you focus on what your clients are gonna get out of your business, um, growth comes from that and people get drawn to you. Um, a couple of the other ones are, um, the problem's not the problem, the problem's the way you're looking at the problem. Um, another title uh, of one of the chapters, which refers to one of the principles is, um, don't focus on the outcome, focus on the process. Again, these are, these are not revelations, that, but I'll go into detail of why your inner game needs to be prepared for this. Um, you know, the accumulative effect, things take time, but if you're consistent, they begin, you, get, you arrive there quicker. So it's a cumulative effect, and this applies to what you've got now. It took time to get. So any vision that you have of what you want to achieve, it takes time to get. So the accumulative effect, you know, the power of association, putting the right people around you to support you on your journey. You get to choose who influences you. So I talk a lot about that. I talk a lot about uh, short-term view a vision versus a long-term. So most business owners just have a, a short one to three month horizon, which I consider a very short term. And this was, again, one of the catalysts that changed my world is that when I started to look long-term and started to think about, you know, I learned the principle around, you know, we... Um, we overestimate what we can achieve in the short term and we underestimate what we can achieve in the long term of, of things, right? Um, you know, another, another one of the chapters is all around uh, struggle is the way, you know, because as I said, there's a gift in the struggle. Um, we think struggles and obstacles are a barrier to our pathway. What I've come to understand through my journey, it is the pathway. Struggles and obstacle is the pathway. It's not an obstacle on the pathway. So you've got to embrace that. Um, so, so I think I've sort of been through a few of those. I can't remember if I've missed one or two, but, but you get the idea that these are all internal principles that allow you to, to grow internally as a person, which will then flow. You know, and a great uh, saying, I didn't come up with this, but I, I can't remember who it was, was that, you know, we'll never sustainably outgrow your business will never sustainably outgrow who you've become, right? So if, and this has happened a lot, is businesses sometimes grow, but the owner of the business or the leader hasn't grown with it and eventually it tips over. And, and I call that a V-shaped business versus a pyramid business. A pyramid business is one that's got a 
solid foundation, um, like a pyramid, whereas a V-shaped business, literally the letter V, everything's at the top end, no foundation, no personal growth, no personal development. As soon as the storm comes, it tips over. And it takes a lot of energy and a lot of work to, to straighten it back up. But when you build a pyramid, you can withstand the storms that will inevitably come in business. You know, for me, uh, the global financial crisis was the, the lesson that I learned. That is, you never know what's around the corner. And, you know, and since then, we have had some economic downturns. Um, you know, at the moment, the world's faced with, you know, the COVID uh, um, situation. So that's in the early stages, the first year of that caused a lot of economic hardship. And so nobody saw that coming. Um, and you couldn't plan for that sort of stuff. But what you can plan for is to build a solid foundation, build a pyramid-shaped business and not a V-shaped business so that when the, um, when the storms come, you're ready for it. As a wise man once said, you fix the roof before the rain comes, not once the rain comes. Many of the, the things that you just spoke about, yep. I, I actually will be releasing my book here in the next... 30 to 45 days that I'll be selling it on my website. And the official release is October 11th. Um, that'll be uh, an international release. Uh, I do several talks. I've, I've been teaching leadership for a little while now. And one of the things that, that struck me uh, when you were, when you were speaking is I, I do a talk and I'm, it's a, a title that I've used for a while, but I, I just come to, come to realize through some outside influences that maybe I need to retool this, uh, this title, but the title right now is the, the Three Essays of Leadership, and it's uh, capital S, capital A, The Three Essays of Leadership, and it's Situational Awareness, Self-Awareness, and selfish altruism. And that self-awareness component that you were just talking about, knowing not just what you stand for and, and how you're showing up each day, uh, but how people are receiving you. And, and then the, the selfish altruism component, and I do a whole other talk on that, but uh, selfish altruism is this mindset of you, you work really, really hard at developing yourself so that as a leader, you have more to give to the people that you're leading. Because your whole mindset as a leader, if you're going to be effective, needs to rest on those people that you're serving. Their success is your success. And if you work really, really hard at developing yourself, and it takes time, um, you'll be that more valuable to the people that you're leading. And when you're developing those relationships and that, uh, that sphere of influence, what comes back is just... Uh, the benefit is so huge. It's, it's synergistic because the people that you're developing, the people on your team, what they give back to you, how they develop one another and, and how they help you to grow is just amazing. Um, and, and so 
you see where I, I come with that selfish altruism, you're, you're altruistic in the sense that you're, you're giving to the team and to the people that you're leading, but what you gain in return is, is so much more. And, yeah. and knowing that that's how it works, while you're not really approaching it in a selfish way, it is kind of selfish because you know, the more that you give, the more you're going to receive. So hmm. I, I just, uh, I don't know. It was, it was interesting yeah. because a lot of that plays yeah. into what you were, what you were just talking about. Yeah, and no, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting, you know, that, so this, this is a really interesting um, you know, sort of ties in a little bit with what you were saying, but what I've found is that from, you know, when you develop yourself and when you become fully self-aware of, you know, what's driving you, how you're getting your outcomes, what your belief systems are, how they're showing up, the conditioning processes, how you respond to stimulus, all these things, and you become really self-aware and then you, you implement them into how you, however you want to improve your life, whatever the field of endeavor it is or whatever the, you know, the purpose is, um, you start to see the people around you differently as well. Right? And, and you start to understand, when you understand yourself, better you start to understand other people just by a byproduct of going through that whole journey of understanding i think what a lot of people do and make the mistake of and particularly in leadership and in business is they spend a lot of time trying to work everybody else out but they don't spend much time in trying to work themselves out and and so it's this external inward game trying to go okay if i can figure out everybody else around me and potentially manipulate or influence them I'll get what I want in my life. But when you, when you go the other way and you start to work inwardly and you get really clear about what it is that you want, and this will go back to that 40-year period, or sorry, that period between 40 and 60, or let's say 40 and 50, to be more specific. If you're in that part of your life <clears throat> and when you start to really work on yourself and, and really understand what is self-awareness you know, I, I describe it similar to you, David, is that internal self-awareness is understanding how you get your results. External self-awareness is how you impacting the people around you, being really clear of what I do when I show up with the energy that I've got and the things that I say and how I behave, how is that impacting the people around me? And that's external self-awareness. So a lot of people have this, this thing which annoys me a little bit is like, I don't care what other people think. Well, you should. You know, because that's your external self-awareness of how you're impacting other people's lives, right? So to stay inwardly and go, well, I know who I am and people take me or leave me. Well, there's a certain degree of that because you can't, you know, you can't run other people's lives, of course. But what I'm saying is that what, what is your behavior that is having an external effect on other people? And that's important to be aware of. So that's external self-awareness. Internal self-awareness is who you are and how you're showing up and what are, what are the things that gets you the results that you want? And the favorite phrase I use in this is how is it serving you? Don't tell me whether it's good or bad is how is it serving you for the purpose of what you're trying to achieve in your life? You know, and that's always the best question to ask is not whether something is good or bad or whether it's right or wrong, but it's like, how is what you're doing and how you're showing up serving you? And that's, that's an exploration in itself into self-awareness to go, Actually, I need to answer that question. How is this serving me? 
is it good for me? You can take me in the direction I want, or is it not? And if it's not, that's self-awareness. They then go, what do I need to do to change? And do I want to change? You know, so it's sort of, that's why I think, you know, self-awareness gets overlooked when it comes into business circles in particular, and, uh, and, and trying to think about it, you know, I believe, as I said, it's, it's the number one skill. And, and the more you learn about the self, yourself, the more you start to learn about the people around you. And then from a leadership perspective, you need to know what your external self-awareness is because these people are looking to you for leadership. And if you don't, if you, if you pretend to be a leader but don't, and aren't aware of that and don't place any importance on that, well, I, I would argue that you, know, you need to work on that to become a better leader. There's a, a talk that I do where I talk about three spheres and this has roots in, in Stoic philosophy. So I talk about, you know, imagining uh, a small sphere and in that sphere are all those things that you can control. And what we can control is really our, our personal development, how we respond uh, to events in our life, um, how we approach events in our life, you know, how mentally, um, whether things are good or bad, or if we just remain indifferent to them. And outside of that sphere, and within a, a little bit bigger sphere, are all those things that we can influence with our actions. And that's the people that we work with, um, our health, how we, how we eat, how we exercise, uh, you know, our wealth. Um, you know, are we good with our money? There's, there's things that we can influence, but we don't have any control over because, you know, events outside of our control can really change our health. It can change uh, our relationships. It can change uh, our, our wealth, our ability to, to keep what we've earned. And then outside of that sphere is everything else, everything that we have zero control over, zero influence over, you know, events in other countries, um, yep. people that aren't within our sphere of influence. What I've found and what I've, I've thought about quite a bit and, and talked about in many of my, my classes and, and talks is we spend, and it's, and it's natural that, that we spend some time, but if we're aware of it and we start thinking about it, a lot of times we spend more time than necessary focused on all those things that we don't have any control or any influence and it and it can really cause us to go into uh, uh, one of those valleys mentally if we focus our attention on what we can control we find that this that sphere will grow and in turn that sphere of influence will grow and if and then we can spend more time focusing on that. And as that grows, the sphere outside of that, the things that we have no influence, no control over, matters less and less. And yeah. it just really enriches our life and the lives of those around us. And I just, I don't know, it, it, uh, 
it's an analogy or this description of I think a lot of what you're teaching, what you're talking about. And yeah. I, I just, it's pretty cool to talk to like-minded individuals. So. Yeah, I, I feel I feel just talking to you, Dave, there's a bit of a kindred spirit going on here. Um, yeah. but, um, um, I mean, I don't know a lot about your story, but, um, but, you know, I think sometimes it's, you know, life's, like you said, life's valleys is where you learn a lot. Um, if, you know, and I often reflect this now, is if you're paying attention, right? So there's a lot of people that don't learn a lot. It's because they're not paying attention. And that's that awareness part of development is that, you know, so the structure that I help people through is, you know, I call it the five A's, which is, you know, awareness first, then acceptance, then action, then assistance, and then assessment. And then assessment creates more awareness up the top and you're taken through this process. So it's five A's. But I think there's no point taking any action until you have awareness. And the key second one is acceptance. A lot of people get awareness, but they don't accept where they're at or where they're not at and where, where they're So they don't accept that. They, they go, yeah, I know I should be doing something and this is good for me, but they're in denial about it which is, you know, the top of the bell curve when it comes to the change, the process, and they stick get stuck in that. So I think, you know, it's, as I said, it's, um, there's, a, there's a process there, but at the core of it is always self-awareness, you know, and, and, and it can happen, most, can happen unconsciously, but we need to bring it into our consciousness. And so we think about this stuff, and, you know, and I'm talking specifically around leadership in business and in business in general, so, and, and when, I, when I say leadership in business, if you're a business owner and you only have one or two people, even yourself, you still need to be a leader. You, you know, you, the way I talk about leadership is that until you learn to lead yourself, you won't be capable of leading anybody else. And so leadership of yourself requires self-exploration of how are you getting your current results? How are you getting what you want? How, why are you not getting what you want? that self-exploration, that self-awareness. As you develop that, you can then understand why other people aren't getting what they want and how do you help them lead them to a pathway so that they can become autonomous in their life and get what they want. That's what leadership at the ultimate at the end of the day is to help other people achieve what they want in their life. And if that happens to be had an assistance to your enterprise or whatever it is, well, that's okay, you know, because you're, you're helping them lead it. I mean, there's, there's good science around all this stuff as well. A lot of psychology, um, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with um, self-determination theory, which is a couple of uh, psychologists back in 1985 come up with a self-determination theory where they say that we are all innate, have three things that we want to have some purpose in our life. And they are, you know, a sense of control, when you've brought that up a few times, that sense of control, um, that sense of competency, knowing what we're doing, and the most important one, a sense of belonging to something or someone or, or something. So those, if you've got those three things going, you generally got a balanced life. But if you've got one of those three things out of kilter, you've now got some disruption or some agitation in your life. And one of the key things from a coaching perspective, particularly in leadership, if you're a business owner, you're a leader, and you've got a person under your charge who doesn't feel like they're, it's generally one of those three things that's out of kilter. Either they don't have a sense of belong, they don't feel like they're part of the group, they haven't been nurtured enough, or they don't feel competent in what they're doing in their work and in their job, 
or they don't have a sense of control of where they're going in the future because we all want a future pace. Where are we going? We've got this urge to have hope of a better future of where we are now, no matter where we're at. So I think, you know, that study is very important and there's, there's more to it, but I just gave you a very big helicopter view of that. But that those three things show up in leadership in the circles that I, I work with leaders and, and my own businesses is that when you can identify one of those three things in the people that you have in your charges, they, and you help them work through that, they become very loyal, they get that sense of belonging, you know, um, and I think, you know, I only heard it today, I think Richard Branson's got a famous quote of you should uh, prepare your people to leave your business, but nurture them so they don't want to leave your business. Right. So in other words, you give them the competency and the control that if they were to leave your business, they would flourish. But then you give them a sense of belonging, nourish them, so they're not going to want to go. And if you can get those bits right, you've now got a loyal person in your enterprise that's working for you and not against you. And you're helping them in their life as well, which is ultimately what we want to do. Something came to me while we were talking. You mentioned yep. that you have two daughters. Yeah. How, how old are they? Um, well, they're young adults. Well, they're, yeah, young adults now, 28 and uh, uh, 29. So one's going on 28, the other one's 29, going on 30. And, and what do they do? Are they so, entrepreneurs uh, as well? Uh, not at this stage. So um, my eldest daughter, she, um, she uh, did some uh, studies around marketing and she's actually working for a um, AFL football team here in, in, um, in Perth. Um, and she's an events coordinator. So she's sort of got into that field. Um, uh, and, you know, working in a large organisation and flourishing and doing very well. And my second daughter um, did an arts degree and then eventually um, what we call a Bachelor of Education. So she, she's now a school teacher, um, but she started off in arts school. So she, yeah, she's pathing, um, making her pathway uh, in the teaching uh, aspect. So they're both, yeah, they're both um, doing very well. And, and it's interesting. Um, I think they both, um, uh, if they listen to this, <laughs> um, they probably have got some entrepreneurial spirit, both of them, both of them in them. Um, but at the moment, they've chosen their pathway, and and that's fine. You know, they're doing really well, and they're well-adjusted human beings. So I can't really ask much more than that. You know, they're really thriving, which is good. So I have a fifteen-year-old daughter, and early on in her life, you know, I I know that. Um, my mindset and my approach to parenting was immature. Uh, you know, it's not what it is now and it's not what it's going to be later on. Um, but I try and, and imagine, you know, when I'm coaching somebody, uh, having the same kind of uh, care for, for that individual as I do for my daughter, because I want my daughter to be, you know, more successful than me. And, and so I, I try and, and gear my coaching with, I don't know if I don't know, well, obviously I don't necessarily care about the client as much as I care about my daughter, but <laughs> I, I want um, to have that mindset that, you know, that I, I have to care about them in order for the best me to show up. So what what my question is is through your parenting of your two daughters are there some lessons or some wisdom 
that you could share with me that maybe you've learned in, in your parenting career that uh, has helped your daughters develop and, and make you proud? It's um, a great question, Dave. <laughs> a really great question. Um, so my considered answer in, you know, 10 seconds <laughs> is, um, I think, you know, I just mentioned before about that self-determination theory and it's interesting. Um, I'm just looking at this question through that lens. So families, you, you want a sense of belonging. Right. You want to know that when things are good and when things are bad, no matter what, that person's going to be there, you know, to catch you. And I think um, my reflection for me is uh, ultimately, you know, I'm married and I love my wife and we have a great life together. We've been together for 30 odd years. But that's a completely different bond to your, your, your children, right? Your your. Yeah, and even though they're young adults and have you know left left the nest, uh, my sense of achievement around parenting is the fact that I know no matter what they'll pick up the phone and talk to me. They'll have a sense of belonging and understand that I'm there to support them in their life and to help them thrive, whatever that is. And I think this, you know, so coaching and you're you're using the analogy between uh, coaching and you know you care for your clients. It is very similar to, you know, being a parent and, and, and bearing in mind that for the purpose of this conversation, you know, parenting when they're five is different to when they're 10, to when they're 15, to when they're 20, to when they're 25, right? So it evolves, you evolve as a human being, but they also, they are evolving as a human being. So I think the wisdom is that um, to be their Sherpa through life, to be their support, to be their you know, whether it's financial, whether it's emotionally, whether it's, you know, um, psychologically, um, I do a lot of psychological support because I understand how important it is. So I've, I've, I've got them both on a pathway of personal development because I didn't have it when I was 20 going through, you know, in my 20s and 30s. It just wasn't something that was on my radar. And, and I think, and it's, and it's difficult because young young adults which is where my girls are at and they have been you know the last sort of 10 years it's not always top of mind of what they think is important in their life right just like your daughter at the age of 15 if you started talking to her a lot about personal development um she may not see that as a priority right at the moment but what she will do is be reflective on how you present and the fact that you find it so important like my daughters know that i'm doing this coaching i've written a book I'm on podcasts, I'm helping other people, I'm coaching it. So they're, they're interested in that. They're understanding that I'm there helping other people achieve what they want in their life. And it's very much a mirror of what I, I do with them. You know, so I'm their life coach forever. While I'm here, I'm their life coach. And so I think the wisdom is that, go back to that you know, sense of belonging. You want them to know, no matter what, that you're there to support them. And I think, you know, what, are, what other gift can I give them other than, the fact that there'll be times they'll be tough and they'll be in tears and there'll be times they'll be joyful and hopefully we can stand alongside on all that sort of stuff, you know? So I think that's really ultimately, you know, without giving it too much deep thought, I think that's natural to me. That's what I think is important to them, you know? 
um, financial ups and downs, all those things will come and go. We talked before about, you know, there's always a storm around the corner. There's always a, a rocky relationship. There's always something going on. But um, what, what the best thing you can do, I believe, for as a parent is to know that they can turn to you whatever whatever the situation is and not feel that they don't have this sense of belonging to this family unit i think a lot of families are broken up that way you know a lot of a lot of kids grow up with their parents not caring enough about them so what what what's missing is that sense of belonging i don't belong to this family i feel outcast from it my mum and dad don't talk to me or whatever it may be you know obviously there's broken marriages and you know there's another rabbit hole we can go down dave which is quite a deep one but yeah, so I suppose to round up that and answer your question, I think it's just that, you know, being supportive and, and you know, and I think of coaching, life, you know, business, I call it business life coaching because although I'm, I'm working only with business owners, I'm really helping them through their life journey as a business person. So I see it that way. But, I, but my job isn't to do the things for them or give them the answers my job is to help them develop so they can figure stuff out on their own. And that's exactly what per, per, parenting is, you know. So my, my daughters, is like, I'm, I'm never saying you should do that or you should do that. I'll help them come to their decisions. And I think that's what good coaching is as well. It's like helping people evolve so that they can, they don't actually need you as much. You know, if you can, if you can create that in your clients, you, you, I think you've done what you, your job is intended to be. So that's a long-winded way of telling you what I think is the <laughs> is the is the best way to you know to nurture your children um, throughout. Life. And of course, you know, there's always the ups and downs that go with that. Um, it's never there's no straight line to success. There's a it's a zigzag road, <laughs> uh, whatever success is for you. Um, but uh, that's cool. That's very cool. Before we go, I'd like to talk a little bit about your new book. Uh, when when do you expect it to to be out? Um, probably by the end of the, this year. So we're now, where we're now, February. Um, I've, I've, I've pieced together the structure. I'm still developing some of the ideas. Um, and, and it's, you know, I, the first book I wrote was The Essential in the Game. At the moment, my working title is Mastering the Inner Game. Um, so I'm just looking at it from that point of view because I think it's still um, relevant to what I'm doing. Um, I'm also evolved in that, you know, since I wrote that book and talking with a lot of clients and, and I said, I'm doing a lot of human behavior study all the time. I'm being coached around that as well because I want to up my game. And, and I've, you know, I've come to understand that, you know, courage plays a huge part in separating you from where you are now to where it is you want to go because that's the journey that we're all on. We're out of place and we want to get to somewhere better generally. Um, nobody has an intent to go backwards. Um, and I think, what I've come to understand in the modeling that I've done and how I teach people is that courage is a pivotal, a pivotal distinction. It separates us from where we are to where we want to go. And, and, and if you allow me just to talk a little bit about that, Dave. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, and, and I think this is, you know, potentially the, the book might end up be called, be, be called the map of courage. Um, but, um, and I have this model, which was uh, adapted from the work of um, psychiatrist Dr. Hawkins, uh, David Hawkins. Um, he did a 30-year study on how people's consciousness gets their results and how they behave in their life. Um, and he studied this over a long period of time and then applied this, what he calls a map of consciousness, to how people show up and behave. And, how, and what he did was he calibrated all these behaviours that uh, we, we, you know, we display 
and use every day. And so if you think about this on a, you know, a ladder from zero up to 1000, and he cal calibrated all these different behaviors, and it's a bit more complex than what I'm saying, but I'm, I'm just giving you a high level uh, overview of this. But like, for instance, shame and guilt would be right at the bottom of that, that scale. And, you know, enlightenment, loving, uh, being super kind, you know, kindness, all that sort of stuff sits sort of at the top. And, and so he calibrated this from zero up to a thousand. And the line of, so courage uh, calibrated at 200. And then there's a whole lot of behaviors that sit above that line of courage. And then there's a whole lot of behaviors that sit below that line of courage. So what I've discovered from a leadership perspective and a personal development perspective is that, and through the study, is that when you behave consistently with the behaviors below the line of courage, it disempowers you and takes you away from what you want to get in your life. And when you consistently behave above the line of courage, it empowers you and moves you towards that. What David discovered in his study, over, as I said, over a 30-year period is quite extensive, was that 85% of the world's population consistently live below the line of courage. And therefore, they're disempowering their lives and moving themselves away from what it is they're trying to achieve. And there's only 15% that are behaving consistently above the line of courage who are achieving what they want in their life, which is quite fascinating in itself. Now, well, you know, you talk a lot about leadership and, and you're, you know, you're um, helping people from a leadership perspective. You know, leadership lives above the line of courage. So we're talking about here things like you know, forgiveness, empathy, um, acceptance, commitment, vulnerability, compassionate, energetic, intentional. These are all behaviours and there's myriads of them that live above the line of courage. But below the line of courage is denial, vengefulness, withdrawal, blaming, shame, have been antagonistic, vindictive, um, you know, complaining a lot. These all live below the line of courage. So from a coaching perspective and understanding where you sit on this spectrum, for one of a way of putting a better way of putting it on this map, are you spending most of your time below the line of courage with those behaviors? Or are you spending the majority of your time above the line, being intentional, being inspiring, trusting? And what sits central to below the line of courage is fear. So that's our primal instinct to feel safe. And what happens is that gets displayed in, we get fearful of things. And then that fear creates anxiety and creates all these behaviors where we start to complain and blame things around us. So what I do is through this map of courage and what the book's going to be about, and, and I've created some models around helping people around this, is to understand, identify when you are below the line of courage and you become self-aware of those, what do you do? What's the opposite behavior that you can do above the line of courage that can quickly move you up? Now, it's not practical to live 100% of your life above the line of courage. It's just as humans, we can't do that. We're always going to be drifting below and above. The challenge for us is not to get caught for hours, days, weeks, months, and potentially years consistently below. Because when that happens, you get into a spiral where you move. So we'll go back to my story, 2008 through 11. I consistently lived below the line of courage. I was blaming, complaining. I was um, you know, fearful. I certainly had lots of anxiety um, about where I was going. But when I was in a place of personal development and growth and I was moving forward and I was achieving my goals and I was getting what I want, I was consistently accepting, taking responsibility, being committed, 
being intentional about what I wanted, trusting in myself and the people around me, being very transparent, selfless, being grateful for everything I got. That's, that's another um, um, behavior above the line of courage, you know, and vulnerability, which, you know, is a pathway, basically, which courage shows us the way to go, you know, so I think, so this, this whole map of courage and this line of courage, I found in coaching people, it's something that they can really identify. Because when I sit down with you, Dave, and I say, Dave, tell me what you think. Of course, you will automatically, like we all do, go, well, I spend the majority of my time above the line of courage. And then <laughs> once you start digging down, okay, well, let's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's unpack this a bit. What do you do about this and how you're showing up here? And what happens generally within the space of 15 or 20 minutes the person comes to the realization is actually I do complain a lot. I am blaming everybody. I'm not taking responsibility. You know, I'm consistently blaming others. I'm I feel guilty. I feel shameful for the things that you know. So all these things create this um, this aura about who you are, which is how you show up, which is disempowering. The other the other last thing I'll say about this, which was really interesting from his study, um, is that when you consistently live above the line of courage. You create energy fields that attracts more of that into you. The people around you get everything because you know what it's like if you're around someone who's consistently complaining, blaming everybody for their situation or circumstances, they don't create a great energy field around you and they push people away from them. So that in itself is attracting, you know, the law of attracting is comes down to how are you behaving? How are you showing up? What's the energy that you're creating around you? And how are you drawing people into to help you fulfill what it is in your life versus if you're consistently living above the line of courage and you're not complaining, you're taking responsibility, you know, you're compassionate with other people, you're empathetic. That's that naturally is what people want to get drawn into and be around that person. So you create energy fields. So from a business perspective, what we want is we want people around us pushing us forward to meet the goals that we want. So this is not rocket science when you, when you actually explain it to people. And it's, a, you know, I've started to use this as a diagnostic tool now is to go, well, let's, let's get really deep into, because if you're spending, you know, if we come up with the fact that we spend, you're spending, you know, 25% of the time above and only and 75% below, well, then how do we shift that to, you know, to 30, 70? How do we shift that to 60, 40? How do we eventually shift that, that you're 50, 50? And how do we get you consistently? Because all these things, you know, they take time. Remember the accumulative effect, you know, if you're consistent with this, it speeds up, but if you're not consistent, it won't, it, it'll take longer. And so, yeah, so that's the, that's what the, the second book will be centered about. I have this model, um, which is strategic achievement triangle. So there's three things. One of them is courage. We've spoken about focus and connection. They're the three things that I believe um, every problem we have in business and every solution has an origin or a pathway through one of those three things. It's either a focus problem, it's either a connection problem, or it's a courage problem. And when I put that diagnostic with this in front of people, it really gives them self-awareness. So it really narrows down. When I, when I say to you, okay, what's your problem? And we articulate that problem, maybe describe it, write it down. We go, okay, where does it fit? Is it a courage problem? Is it a connection problem? Or is it a focus problem? And when you identify that, you become aware now you've accepted it. Now you can apply the action to what do we need to do. So that, that's in a nutshell, uh, what I'll be pulling together in uh, in the in the second book. And will you be uh, making that book available uh, through your website, or will you be setting up another website? No, I think I think um, so. This first book that I got essentially in the game, as I said, it's a bit more of a 
you know, a, a, like a marketing tool or a business card or to just get people into my network. There's, and because if they, if they take the time to read the book or to get interested in it, then they most likely will get interested in my message and how I'm helping people. Um, but I think the, the, the next book for me is uh, one of, I want to get it into a, into a marketplace. Uh, you know, I'll put it up on all the, all the sites that where you buy books from. But yeah, it'll be available on my website. Um, you know, so my business name is Atterji, A-T-T-E-R-G, and that's a made-up name of attitude and energy, which I believe are the foundational building blocks to do anything, you've got to have the right attitude and apply the energy. So I came up with that name a few years ago, and that's my business. That's, so my website is atterji.com. So if anybody wants to go there, they can certainly get a, a complimentary copy of my book, The Essential in the Game. It won't be a PDF. I'll send you a real book in the mail. Um, and uh, yeah, and then so... Moving forward, I mean, I mean, I've got other services and people can reach out to me with LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if people want to connect with me, I'd love to, you know, if they, if they hear me on this podcast and they reach out and say good day, uh, the Australian way, <laughs> I'd, be, uh, I'd be very happy to talk to them and just, yes, yeah, just share some wisdom. I love talking to people about business and their life journey as you do, Dave. Um, you know, I'm forever grateful for my journey and where I've got to. And I'm now in this phase of my life where I've got the opportunity to give. Um, which is one of my core values is to give to other people as much as I possibly can. And um, yeah, so that, that's what I'm on the trial of doing now for the next 10, 15 years of my working life if I, or, 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 or past that, but you know, God willing. Yeah. Yeah. I, so just for all those listening as in all the past episodes, I will have uh, links if you would like to, to, have Torin send you one of his books or uh, just connect with him on LinkedIn or read more about him on his website. I'll have those links at the, uh, at the bottom of the show notes. And Torin, I, I got to say, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking with me and, and sharing your message and your story with the audience. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Dave. And it was really Really nice to, you know, I mean, we are literally a world away from where I am to where you are, um, uh, not to mention 12 or 13 hours difference in timeline. But no, it's a pleasure. And, you know, I just love the opportunity to talk about this stuff with, uh, you know, good people. And uh, hopefully if people listening to your podcast, um, you know, pick up a little nugget here and there. That's all they really need to do and, and help them on their business life journey or their life journey in general. So I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been good fun and uh, yeah, great conversation. So thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, Please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.